0: Bringing you the latest in tax credit news, this is Tax Credit Tuesday with your host, Michael Novograti. The legislative challenges have been significant. We very much need legislation. we got to produce housing. We're still in a very volatile industry. It's a challenging atmosphere for almost anyone. We can't get all these big signals and messages. he doesn't have a bipartisan bill, nothing's going to happen. Alternative energy is still very expensive. Hello, I'm Michael Novogratz, and this is Tax Credit Tuesday. Today is Tuesday, March 11, 2014. I'll start this week's podcast with President Obama's fiscal year 2015 budget proposal, and I'll discuss possible candidates for the next House Ways and Means Committee chairman. In our long-abusing tax credit segment, I begin by discussing the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development and long Housing tax credit provisions in the president's budget. I also share legislation that would create a low-income housing tax credit in Oklahoma. In this week's New Markets Tax Credit section, again, I'll visit the Fiscal Year 2015 Budget Proposal. I'll share the President's plans for the New Market Tax Credit Program and a new tax credit program. I also share the latest Qualified Equity Investment Issuance Report, as well as a request for information about Community Development Entities' 2013 New Market Tax Credit Program activities. In our Historic Tax Credit section, I share information about a sign letter sent in response to Representative Camp's tax reform discussion draft, information about conservation easements from the fiscal year 2015 budget proposal, and information about Louisiana's Historic Tax Credit Program. Finally, in renewable Energy Tax Credit news, I discussed the president's suggestion to permanently renew the renewable energy production tax credit and eventually eliminate the investment tax credit. I also discuss a Utah bill that would extend the state's renewable energy production tax credit to solar projects. If you're ready, let's get started. In general news, I begin with the Obama administration's fiscal year 2015 budget proposal. That's the year that would end on September 30th, 2015 and began October 1, 2014. President Obama released the budget on March 4. It included $3.9 trillion in spending for fiscal year 2015. It requests just over $1 trillion in discretionary spending, specifically $1.07 trillion. This amount is $56 billion more than the level agreed to in the Bipartisan Budget Act of 2013. Half of the increase goes to non-defense sources, and it's fully offset by revenue-raising and mandatory spending reforms. The budget proposal includes changes to the Low-Income Housing Tax Credit, the New Market Tax Credit, as well as Renewable Energy Investment and Production Tax Credit. It also changes funding levels for a number of other programs of interest to listeners, including the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development programs and the U.S. Department of Agriculture Rural Development programs. My colleague, Peter Lawrence, has covered the fiscal year 2015 budget in detail on the Notes from Novogradic blog. You can find his post at novogradic.wordpress.com. And I'll be bringing you highlights from the proposal throughout this podcast. In other news from Capitol Hill, Representative Kevin Brady said in an interview with Bloomberg on February 28th, and he also followed up in several other interviews on various other channels, including C-SPAN, that he plans to challenge Representative Paul Ryan for leadership of the House Ways and Means Committee. This chairmanship is up for grabs next year. Current Ways and Means Committee Chairman Dave Camp will step down at the end of 2014. Representative Camp has reached the end of his six-year term limit. Congress established the term limit rule in 1995. Representative Brady is a Republican from Texas and is the second highest-ranking Republican on the House Ways and Means Committee. Representative Ryan is the third highest-ranking Republican on the committee. He is also currently chair of the House Budget Committee, but is term-limited out there. The House Republican Steering Committee will recommend committee chairs to the House Republican Conference in the fall. The House Republican Conference will then decide on the Ways and Means Committee chairman. Despite Chairman Camp's release of the Tax Reform Act of 2014, discussion draft just a few weeks ago, it is unlikely that Congress will take up tax reform before the end of the year. That means that the next chair of the Ways and Means Committee could greatly influence the form that tax reform might take next year, and consequently, the tax code. In low-income housing tax credit news, I'll begin with the tax credit and HUD proposals included in the fiscal year 2015 budget. The fiscal year 2015 budget request includes $46.7 billion of total appropriated funding for HUD. That's about $1.2 billion, or 2.6 more than the amount appropriated under fiscal year 2014 levels. It also includes $32.6 billion in net appropriations, about 3.3% less than in fiscal year 2014. Here's a summary of how a few of the housing programs fare in the fiscal year 2015 budget request. Regarding project-based rental assistance, the budget requests $9.7 billion for project-based rental assistance. That's about $200 million less than the fiscal year 2014 funding level of $9.9 billion. The President's budget requested $10.3 billion to fully fund the program in fiscal year 2014. Additionally, the administration proposes a shift to a calendar year funding cycle for the program. The shift would make renewal funding needs more predictable, but it also means that contracts expiring during fiscal year 2015 would not receive a full 12 months of renewal funding. Turning to tenant-based rental assistance, tenant-based rental assistance is proposed to be funded at $20.045 billion, with 18 Billion dollars of that for the Housing Choice Voucher Contract renewals. That's about a 3.7% increase over fiscal year 2014. The budget requests $75 million for the HUD Veteran Affairs Supportive Housing Program and it requests $150 million for Tenant Protection Program. Both the HUD Veteran Affairs Supportive Housing and the Tenant Protection Program are voucher programs. The Tenant Protection Voucher Program of $150 million budget request is about a $20 million increase from fiscal year 2014. The budget also includes a proposal to remove the 60,000-unit cap from the Rental Assistance Demonstration, or RAD, program. It also requests $10 million for incremental funding to enable conversions. Regarding the Housing Trust Fund, the Administration requests $1 billion. The administration's fiscal year 2015 budget also suggests a number of changes for the Low-Income Housing Tax Credit program. Overall, the Office of Management Budget, or OMB, said that the cost of all these proposals would be about $1.3 billion over 10 years. In total, there are six categories of proposed changes to the Low-Income Housing Tax Credit program. All six of these provisions have appeared in prior Obama budgets. First, the administration proposes to allow states to convert up to 8% of their private activity bond cap into 9% low-income housing tax credit authority. There's a set conversion rate of tax-exempt bonds into 9% low-income housing tax credits. There's also a provision to avoid what's been called bond burning. And basically, it would allow a direct conversion of private activity bonds into the 4% credit, without the need to issue bonds. This would save administrative costs and also could go beyond the 8% that would be allowed as direct conversion into 9% credits. Second, under the President's proposal, the low-income housing tax credit percentage rate would be revised. It would not adopt the 9% floor. Rather, it would do, use a different calculation that currently would be less than 9%, but more than the floating rate of 9%. Third, the administration proposes an income averaging option for developers. It would create a third income election of reserving at least 40% of units at an average of 60% of area median income with a maximum of 80% AMI on initial certification. Essentially, this is an average income test versus a maximum uh, income test. Fourth, there would be a preservation preference requirement that states add, which essentially means that they'd have to consider I give a preference, I should say, in their not-qualified allocation plans for preservation projects. Fifth, there's a proposal that would extend the Violence Against Women Act rules to long tax credit properties. And sixth, there'd be a few changes that would be made to make the program theoretically more beneficial to real estate investment trusts. Essentially, the proposal would provide an incentive to REITs to invest by designating a portion of their dividends as tax-free. Existing REITs would probably not be interested, but it's conceivable that new REITs could be established to take advantage of this narrow proposal. By the way, OMB estimates that this proposal itself would cost nearly half a billion dollars over ten years. Now, as I mentioned, these proposals have appeared in prior presidential budgets, and it's unclear at this time to what degree traction will be gained with respect to any of these six proposals. That said, if you'd like to learn more about them as well as learn more about the possible impacts of the Dave Camp Tax Discussion Draft, Tax Reform Discussion Draft, you can do so by attending a webinar that my colleague Peter Lawrence will be hosting on March 19th. The webinar is entitled Novogratic Analyzing LIHTC Reform Proposals, and it will examine the provisions of the fiscal year 2015 budget as they relate, relate to the long Composing Tax Credit, as well as Chairman Dave Camp's Discussion Draft on Tax Reform that was released a couple weeks ago. You can register for the webinar online at www.novaco.com slash events. In state-level long-term housing tax credit news, I'd like to talk about new legislation out of Oklahoma. HB 3099 is the Oklahoma Affordable Housing Act, and it would create a state long-term housing tax credit program in Oklahoma. The Oklahoma Affordable Housing Tax Credit would be very much like its federal counterpart. The per-project cap would be equal to the amount of credits awarded through the federal program. The annual cap would be equal to that of the federal program, and if passed, the state credit would apply to developments placed in service after December 31, 2014. The Oklahoma Housing Finance Agency's Executive Director, Dennis Schlockley, said that the OHFA supports the bill and that it would benefit all Oklahomans, especially those living in rural areas. Last month, HB 3099 was passed by the Appropriations and Budget Committee. Oklahoma has another new bill, by the way, HB 3100, that's also gaining a lot of traction. This bill, the Rural Housing Development Incentive and Support Act of 2014, would provide that 20% of the 15% private activity bond allocation would need to be set aside for developments that promote housing in rural areas. If passed into law, this bill would become effective on January 1, 2015. The bill has been passed by the House and is under review by the Senate. If you want to read either bill, go to www.taxcredithousing.com and simply click on the Legislation tab and then move to State Legislation. In New Market Tax Credit news, the President's budget provides some great suggestions for the New Market Tax Credit program. First, it renews the program permanently. Second, it suggests funding the program at $5 billion in authorized allocations a year. And it would allow new market tax credit amounts that are generated from qualified equity investments made after December 31, 2013 to offset the alternative minimum tax liability. The Office of Management and Budget estimates that the program will cost about $8.7 billion over 10 years. The administration has also proposed a new tax credit program for communities suffering major job losses because of the loss of manufacturing facilities or closure of military bases in 2015, 16, or 17. And this is a provision that has appeared in prior budgets. It's entitled the Manufacturing Communities Tax Credit Program, and it could be structured like the New Market Tax Credit Program. And OMB, Office Management Budget, estimates that the program would cost the government about $4.7 billion over 10 years. In other new market tax credit news, the Community Development Finance Institutions Fund released its latest Qualified Equity Investment Insurance Report on March 1st. Among other things, the report identifies the total dollar amount of new market tax credits that were issued by allocatees as well as the amount remaining to be issued. About $20.2 million of Qualified Equity Investments, or QEIs, were issued and finalized in February. That's less than a fifth of the $109 million of QEIs finalized the month prior in January. In fact, that's the smallest amount of QEIs issued in a month. The most recent lowest was $29.3 million dollars in June 2007. Now this is in large part due to community development entities issuing a significant amount of allocation before the December 31, 2013 issuance deadline and having a slight spillover into January. As you'll recall, community development entities had to issue a certain amount of previous allocation by the end of December in order to qualify for additional New Market Tax Allocation Authority under the current application round. Now, as of March 1, the amount reported as still available in New Market Tax Allocation Authority is down to about $1.4 billion. Although, as we've said many times before, much, if not all, Of that allocation is likely already unofficially committed. If you need help finding an allocation, though, or closing a transaction, I encourage you to contact my partner, Owen Gray, in our San Francisco office. You can reach Owen at 415 356 8000. Finally, in New Market Tax Credit News, I have a request for information from the New Markets Tax Credit Coalition. The NMTC Coalition has released its annual survey, its annual survey request and it's asking for the participation of all Certified Community Development Entities, or CDEs. The New Market Tax Credit Coalition has released this survey every year since 2005 in an effort to document CDEs' experiences and the work being done with the New Market Tax Credit. The 2014 survey will be collecting NMTC transaction data from January 1, 2013 through December 31, 2013. The information collected in this year's survey will be presented in the Coalition's 10th Annual New Market Tax Credit Progress Report, and that report will be released in June. The New Market Tax Credit Progress Reports provide policymakers with timely information and data on the impact of the New Market Tax Credit Program. I'd also like CDEs to know that the data that's collected will be analyzed and presented on a macro level, not on a per CDE level. Your name, the name of your CDE, and any other CDE-specific information will not be presented in the New Market Task Credit Progress Report. Last year's survey found that 100% of investments were made in qualified low-income communities. And in addition, the 2013 survey found that the New Market Task Credit Program in 2012 created almost 48,000 jobs, including more than 20,000 full-time jobs and nearly 28,000 construction jobs. If you want to read more about last year's report, feel free to listen to the June 11, 2013 edition of the Task Force Tuesday podcast. You can find recordings and transcripts of all of my prior podcasts at www.novaco.com. And those interested in participating in this year's survey have until the close of business on April 1st, 2014, just a few weeks away, April 1st, 2014, to submit the survey. To download the survey, go to nmtccoalition.org. In historic tax credit news, I have an update to a story from last week. The National Trust for Historic Preservation, Preservation Action, the National Conference of State Historic Preservation Officers, and the Historic Tax Credit Coalition have finalized the letter that they're sending to Representatives Dave Camp and Sandra Levin. This letter is in support of the Historic Tax Credit Program, and it's in response to Representative Camp's proposal in the Tax format Act of 2014 to eliminate the historic tax credit program. More than 300 groups have signed on to the letter. You can find a copy of the letter at www.historictaxcredits.com. I'd like to turn back to the administration's fiscal year 2015 budget for a moment and discuss a few proposed changes for conservation easements. Now, an easement is a partial interest in a property, and the federal government allows a property owner a deduction up to 30% of adjusted gross income for donating such an easement in perpetuity to a nonprofit or government agency. Now several pieces of legislation have bumped this percentage up to 50% or 100% in certain circumstances. That's the AGI limitation percentage. However, that prior legislation, prior law, has expired as of December 31, 2013. The President's budget proposal proposes making these higher percentages permanent. Once again, these are the limitations on the amount of the charitable deduction that can be deducted against adjusted gross income. Now, these would be effective for contributions. These changes would be made effective for contributions made on or after January 1, 2014. There's also another provision that would make golf courses or easements on golf courses ineligible for the deduction. That change would go into effect on the date of enactment. Now, these two provisions would have little effect on easements at historic buildings. However, one change that would affect historic properties is related to upward development. Now at present, a donor can deduct a conservation easement for a certified historic building if it donates the easement to a qualified charitable organization for conservation purposes. To qualify as a certified historic structure and be eligible for such a conservation easement, the building, as you know, needs to be listed at the National Register of Historic Places or be part of an historic district and be historically significant to that district. The key, of course, is in determining the value of the easement, the donor can include the value of any potential development that's prohibited by virtue of the conservation easement being placed on the property. The owner can value the conservation easement at what the property's fair market value would be without the restrictions placed on it by the conservation easement, a before and after valuation, if you will. This has led to donations of conservation easements on certified historic buildings and deductions being claimed based upon that change in fair market value, the difference between unrestricted use and the use with an easement on the property. Now, critics have argued that this should not be allowed because buildings that are historic are already subject to upward development restrictions. This means that with or without the conservation easement, the owner would not be able to develop a larger property, and as such, the conservation easement doesn't have much value and it doesn't have a dramatic impact on the fore and after value. Well, the fiscal year 2015 budget proposed by President Obama would disallow the deduction associated with foregone upward development. The proposal would be effective for contributions made after the date of enactment. In other historic tax credit news, let's turn to the state of Louisiana. The Louisiana Department of Revenue last month issued guidance on its State Historic Tax Credit Program. Revenue Information Bulletin 2014-007 briefly outlined topics such as property qualifications, application requirements, and on claiming tax credits or transferring tax credits. Before the Department of Revenue approves a tax credit application, applicants must submit registry fees and a certified audit report, or exam cost certification prepared by a certified public accountant licensed in Louisiana. Now, regular listeners may recall that in June of 2013, Louisiana legislators extended the sunset of the State Historic Tax Credit from January 2016 to January 2018. The state credit covers 25% of eligible costs and sets a $5 million annual cap per taxpayer. It's encouraging to see expanded support and guidance for state programs. You can find a copy of the bulletin and information on all State Historic Tax Credit programs on our website at www.historictaxcredits.com. And if you have any questions, please contact my partner, George Littlejohn, in our Austin, Texas office. You can reach George at 512-340-0420. In renewable energy tax credit news, I'd like to share what the administration proposed for the Investment Tax Credit and Production Tax Credit. And the proposals are significant. Overall, the budget plan included two key changes—reinstate the production tax credit and eventually eliminate the investment tax credit. Here's how that would work. The production tax credit rules that expired on December 31, 2013 would be reinstated for projects that begin construction by December 31, 2014— The production tax credit would be permanently extended for projects that began construction after December 31, 2014, it would be refundable, and it would be available for electricity that the producer consumes. Solar facilities would be able to use the production tax credit in lieu of the investment tax credit through 2016. After 2016, solar facilities would only be eligible for the production tax credit. The investment tax credit for solar projects and for geothermal projects would be eliminated for projects placed in service after December 31, 2016. That means that the temporary 30% investment tax credit would be allowed to expire. While I like the option of claiming the production tax credit for consumers of solar power, I'm not sure eliminating the investment tax credit option is the best move for the renewable energy community and for the development of renewable energy in the United States. I look forward to any comments you might have. Just post them on my blog." The Solar Energy Industries Association did issue a statement about the proposals. Ron Resch, the Solar Industry Trade Association's President and CEO, called eliminating the investment tax credit, quote, a huge step backwards, end quote. He added that the production tax credit would be insufficient for getting upfront investment into solar projects. Obviously, I think I know how Rome might be, what he might be posting on my blog. I'll keep you updated via future podcasts and tweets about these proposals. I'll also be covering the budget in my Washington Wire column in April's Journal of Tax Credits. And if you're not already a subscriber of the journal, I'd encourage you to log on to www.novaco.com products and sign up. In other renewable energy tax credit news, I'd like to discuss legislation out of Utah. SB 224, the Renewable Energy Tax Credit Amendments, amends Utah's Energy Production Tax Credit program to incorporate solar projects. Currently, the state's PTC program is only applicable to wind, geothermal, and biomass projects. Under SB 224, residential solar projects will be entitled to a tax credit equal to the lesser of 25% of eligible expenses, or $2,000, while commercial solar developments the owner would be able to receive $0.35 in credits for every 100 kilowatt hours of solar energy produced. If enacted, the bill would be effective for the taxable years beginning on or after January 1, 2016. Utah State Senator Ralph Okerlin said in a recent article from Desiree News that solar was not previously included because it was considered too expensive. However, now that costs have gone down, he said that the credit would help the development of solar facilities in the state. Also in the Desiree article, Pete Sullivan, Director of Development at First Wind, said that for every dollar in PTCs given to renewable energy development, $9 is returned to the local economy. To learn more about state-level solar policies in your state and how they affect the development, I suggest that you pick up the National Renewable Energy Laboratory's report entitled Effectiveness of State-Level Policies on Solar Market Development in Different State Contexts. I discussed this report in last week's podcast, and you can listen to that podcast at wwwnovacocom podcast. And to read SB 224 or the NRL report, go to www.energytaxcredits.com. And if you have specific questions, I encourage you to contact my partner, Renee Beaver, in our Cleveland, Ohio office. She can be reached at 216-239-5550. Well, that brings me to the end of this week's report. Join me again next week for another Tax Credit Tuesday. Next week, I'll discuss legislation that's been introduced to create a low-income housing tax credit for Washington, D.C. I'll also discuss a recent announcement about an agreement among House Banking Chairman Tim Johnson and Ranking Member Mike Crapo on a reform bill that would apply to the housing finance system, including Vannie Mae and Freddie Mac. This is Michael Novogradic, and I'll be back next week. Thanks for listening. This weekly podcast has been brought to you by Novogradic and Company, LLP. Archived discussions are available online at www.novoco.com forward slash podcast, or by subscribing to the Tax Credit Tuesday podcast in iTunes.